Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. Now, you may have heard this, or you might have guessed, but the Living Church has two offices these days. One, of course, is in Milwaukee, the historical home base of our magazine. And now we've also got a home for the Living Church Institute, which is basically everything we do that's not the magazine. And that's in Dallas, Texas. And I will tell you, the location of our office building always fascinates me. So right now, I'm looking out from my office onto crepe myrtle trees, a library, bike racks, and students walking to class, going to grab coffee. We're in a building called Canterbury House. It's owned by the Episcopal Diocese of Dallas, and it's right on the edge of Southern Methodist University's campus. Now, last year, it was not like this. It was sort of, as you can imagine, eerily quiet. No traffic jams at lunchtime or at rush hour. But now all the students are back. Student ministries share our building sometimes, So strains of Lord, I lift your name on high and rounds of highs and lows might come through the walls occasionally. And on Wednesdays, we host a noon Eucharist service. And as I stand at the doors to welcome people in, I'm watching all these young people. And I just think about these young people slouching under their backpacks, hunched over their phones, talking with friends, hanging out. And I'm thinking, what are your lives like? Have you heard the gospel? Do you know the riches of the church? And how, oh, how, can you scroll Instagram while walking without completely face-planting on the sidewalk? Today, we're going to have a little conversation about students, student ministry, returning to campus, and what Episcopal ministry to Gen Z can look like, particularly post-pandemic. I invited the very generous Reverend Valerie Mayo to join me today and enlighten me about what's going on in her neck of the woods. Valerie is campus minister and urban missioner for the Diocese of Kentucky, and she is at the University of Louisville, where she serves in Episcopal Lutheran campus ministry. She's also the mother of two Gen Z young folks. It was fascinating to hear what's going on where she is and how she sees grace and presence as some of the most powerful ministry we can offer to students right now. 
If you dig this episode, or if you have something to add, as always, you can email me at ambernoel at livingchurch.org. I'd love to hear from you. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Valerie, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Are you somebody who gets really caffeinated first thing in the morning? Or did you rev yourself up for this podcast somehow? Amber, most certainly I did. Um, <laughs> I am normally a single cup coffee drinker on this morning. We've had two. Um, oh, no. It was a, well, it was a long evening. My son was doing um, a Plains Indian um, Indians project. So we were up just doing the final touches on that last night and then getting settled um, so that we could be together this morning. So I thank you so much for this opportunity and this invitation, sending love, peace and blessings from the Episcopal Diocese of Kentucky. Thank you so much. I received that here in the Diocese of Dallas. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us Amen. today. Valerie, how are you these days? in Louisville. And is it Louisville or do you guys say Louisville? So it's Louisville. Uh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, how are you these days in Louisville? We're doing well. All of us had gotten into a rhythm of joining together in virtual space. And now as the world is coming back together in some sense in this pandemic era, we are still very much um, in the midst of a global pandemic, but the hybrid um, you know, uh, relationships are now coming together and also, you know, some in-person opportunities, um, where many of us are finding our way back to each other. So I'm celebrating that, um, and living into it. It's just in the midst of all the things that, um, I've been appointed to do in this season. I'm still trying to get my rhythm, um, mm -hmm. on what that means. Valerie, can you just tell me a little bit about Episcopal Campus Ministry these days at the University of Louisville? And we spoke a little bit yesterday on the phone, and uh, you gave me a little warning that as an Episcopal Campus Minister, you doing Episcopal Campus Ministry may have some air quotes around it. So just give me a slice of life. Give our audience a slice of life of a typical week of what you are seeing, hearing, or doing on campus. Right. So, you know, this, um, I come back to campus after first beginning in this station, July 1 of 2020. Um, and just with, you know, the rhythm of life at that particular time, um, being in virtual space, you know, apart from welcome week um, in 2020, uh, you know, there was no physical presence. The campus was, you know, um, it was virtual classes. So not being physically present during that entire academic year, I just remember feeling so inadequate um, as a, a new campus minister. Um, and it's like, well, what are our points of connection? So it was a lot of emailing during that year. It was a lot of networking with um, the Lutheran Senate and our Episcopal region and us as campus chaplains really supporting one another. This year, to the glory of God has been very different in that, you know, we, the campus is back open to in-person 
engagements, and encounters. So initially, it started out with forging relationships with our campus ministry partners in the Interfaith Center. The first mission was for us to establish a rhythm together, um, just outlining times um, and how to share this space, um, you know, and work with one another. So that was step one. And, um, you know, again, in the year of 2020, uh, a great part of that was spent, I was reaching out to the different departments on campus. So the Cultural Center, the Women's Center, the LGBT Center, the International Student Center, to begin cultivating relationships for the day when we would be back in person. So that was a gift um, that we're now living into. But as we are relaunching our program, we really do lean into the relationships and being sponsored by those other um, student life organizations. What I'm hearing is that the pandemic really affected you as a campus ministry, as a campus minister, your sense of being able to be useful, being able to do your job. Do I have that right? Yes, most certainly. So there were many days when um, I was troubled. And I I remember a conversation with um, my upline um, in the Lutheran Senate. And I just, you know, I, I was just talking to him and I just said, you know, what? What can we do? Um, You know, we look for referrals. um, So to be referral led and when the referrals aren't coming in and you're like, I'm not physically present. He was like, Val, when the phone rings, just answer the call and be present in that moment. And right now, um, that is your best. Um, And and for you to be settled um, with the peace of God that, you know, just just to be open to hearing the phone ring and picking up the call. Because I was just speaking with a bishop the other day about this very thing. And he was telling me that now he's going from meeting to meeting to meeting. And he's thinking to himself, how did I ever have the time to do all of this? Because somehow when he was doing everything over Zoom, he felt that he was able to be in a sense much more efficient in his work, but he found ways to fill the time. So I'm just wondering, were you able to take that advice from your your Lutheran campus minister uh, colleague, even do some, I've heard other people in ministry talk about doing some groundwork, taking the time where you don't have so much stuff to do. You don't have so much time in a commute. You're not going from meeting to meeting and coffee to coffee Um, and having to move through physical space so it takes less time. So using that time to kind of reframe what you do or prune what you do or recenter your own self as a minister, how did you end up using that, actually using that time? Well, like I said, it was nothing but gift. What it provided was um, pastoral time for us as campus ministers and campus ministry partners to really um, talk about, you know, um, the what has been tried and true in terms of, you know, setting up um, gatherings um, and opportunities, but also, you know, for us to support each other where the, the rules changed to a degree. We now have to register every single student ahead of time and that there are limitations on um, our hospitality, if you will, or our welcome. Because uh, if and when during that particular time, um, 
a student had not been registered, it had not been cleared by the institution, you know, how do we process as campus ministers turning someone away and how, you know, we set up uh, virtual games um, together um, and explored opportunities for us to <laughs> to just be present with one another. Um, again, naming the highs, the lows, and the ahas, and giving the students the space. So we just, I think it was more, um, it was a push of creative energy. Um, and what it afforded me was the opportunity to then build relationship um, with our ecumenical friends. Relationships. You've spent your time strengthening relationships with your colleagues with with people who are doing similar things so that when you're literally physically breaking bread together again, when the students are back on campus, you have built this network of hospitality and service. So now that you're back in person, you've built this network, you're back together, you're making your way. You described working your way toward just being in the same room together, sharing together, breaking bread together, eating together. Could you give me one or two stories of how that's hit the ground, some things that have, instances that have really stood out to you in that ministry so far this year? You know, there's several stories. So on yesterday, one of the directors, they had the, um, it's Pride Month at UofL. So they had their kickoff um, activity event on yesterday. And speaking to one of the directors and just hearing from her, how powerful it was that um, the power of presence uh, and that it had been years, it had been years since a member from the Interfaith Center had reached out to the Cultural Center. Another story is a student stumbled into the Interfaith Center at our very first dinner, meet and greet your Episcopal Lutheran chaplain. And, you know, you could just recognize when Someone seems to be hurting. I was able to meet with this young lady and, you know, just show her around the Interfaith Center. We did a tour, um, you know, and it became an opportunity for her to open up and, and share. You know, she's not from Louisville. Um, she had grown up in the church her entire life, attending church you know, at least two, three times a week, just being so in love with Jesus. Um, her affiliation was non-denominational. And then to be on campus, um, but to be isolated in virtual space and to be apart from her uh, faith community and to share with me that, you know, she had not felt that there was an affirming place for her. And to be there to just receive a young person who is weeping. And for her to join into our discussion and to come the following week, I look forward to seeing her on this evening, leading to my understanding that evangelism is relational. Dear podcast listener, are you also a preacher? Then listen up. The Living Church wants to give you a free month of our weekly digital sermon prep toolkit, The Living Word Plus. Just click the link in the show notes to sign up and use the coupon code LISTENUP to get the first month of your subscription for free. Subscriptions are month by month, so you can cancel anytime. 
If you haven't tried it yet, The Living Word Plus is chock full of food for thought for Sunday's upcoming sermon with articles, sermons, and classic texts all related to the lectionary readings for the coming Sunday. It's curated by Living Church editors just for liturgical preachers and teachers. Again, podcast listeners get the first month free. Click the link in the show notes and use the coupon code LISTENUP at checkout. You can't hug and hold someone um, over Zoom. This is this is a limitation that we have all experienced over the past year and a half. And to physically welcome them into a space um, is a really powerful thing. And this also leads to another question that I had, which is how you and your ministry are equipping students to understand who they are as Christians. You said you don't you don't even have any. Episcopalians who you're ministering to right now, which is just fascinating. So you're, you're obviously, your emphasis is not going to be on teaching them about Anglicanism. However, as you're equipping them to understand for your students who are Christians, who they are as Christians, how are you using the resources and the treasures of what it means to be an Episcopalian or an Anglican, bringing out treasures new and old to minister to these students? So, you know, terminology, like many of the students, like me, I, I grew up Baptist. So the, the term Eucharist was new to me in Episcopal space, right? I had Holy Communion, um, which many of these young people do. Um, Compline, uh, you know, evening prayers, new terminology. Um, but that, that's one thing that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's offered. It's provided, but sharing, you know, um, the things that that we lean into, but the the gathering, if you will, or, you know, the emphasis on us breaking bread together and coming to the table. So having um, living into that practically in our dinner discussions, um, I think that it's it's more those expressions of faith and seeing where the conversations lead while being very intentional um, in planting some of our language and then being open to receive questions. None of our students are Episcopalian or Anglican. And so, you know, um, when the opportunities present themselves um, to be open to those seeking questions, um, to provide some historical perspectives as shared, just sitting right there at the table, to be very intentional about language you know, these, these particularities to our tradition while uplifting what we all share as baptized Christians, um, you know, and just being one with our creator and that type of hospitality that is really speaking more at the present moment um, than, you know, some of the things that we may get into um, as campus ministers um, or in our ministry program uh, that speak to the nature of, you know, uh, you know, an inquirer's class, you know, which would be more of, you know, here's the catechism. For students right now um, who might actually be in some ways kind of fragile or frazzled from um, the last year and a half that they've spent being disoriented back home with their families, which for some have been a great experience, others not so great, others really, really actually very bad or quite harmful. Um, And that another part of this is including as many students as possible. And then from here, 
you know, it'll be a process of discerning, okay, now what are students interested in? Like you mentioned, how many inquirers do we have that we need to put together an inquirers class? I am curious, you are in the midst of a generation known as Gen Z. And this generation may be a bit of a mystery to some listeners. Some listeners are super excited about them. Um, Some listeners definitely have children who are in this generation. It's so funny to me, by the way, that people who are seven to 15 years my junior could be considered an entirely different generation. And I think that's maybe part of what what marks Gen Z. And what you're bringing into their midst is prayer. You're bringing right now, really focusing on in-person fellowship, bringing presence, attention, paying attention to them, and using Christian language in a careful way to really teach them what the Christian life means and what the life of Jesus is holding out for them. So how I'd like to start is just to, to, to throw a little bit of Pew research at you, just name some statistics that I found at the Pew Center. And I want to know, do these things ring true to you? And let's talk a little bit about how you see them working themselves out in this ministry that you've described that you're doing. All right. So Gen Z, they were born after 1996. They up till now, had been preparing for an adulthood with low unemployment and a strong economy. Now a lot is up in the air for them, maybe for better, maybe for worse. Yes. They are racially and ethnically diverse, only 52% non-Hispanic white. They're going to catch a lot of immigrants and refugees in the next few years. So according to the Census Bureau projections, this generation is the one set to tip the balance into being majority people of color as early as 2026. They are the ones. They are well-educated as a group. They are, they tend to be more progressive politically and ideologically. And they have little to no memory of the world before smartphones. Not just the internet, Valerie. Not just memory of the world before the internet. Memory of the world before the internet was in your palm. So does this ring true to you? And what do you, as you're hearing this, what are you remembering or or hearing about your own ministry as it's, as it's making its way into this generation? Wow. So yeah. So Gen Z, son is 10, fifth grader. I don't know where the time goes. And then I have a 19 year old daughter, um, who is a sophomore in college. Um, so mothering these wonderful young people, um, and just celebrating, uh, the gifts, uh, that they bring to the table. Um, So yeah, my son and I went to the library the other day and in the corridor, it was like in a, like a strip mall, there was a payphone, and he runs over to the payphone (laughs) and picks it up and was like, oh my gosh, mom, it's a phone. (laughs) So yes, yes. uh, My daughter too. Um just watching the attachment that she has uh, to her cellular device. So, you know, what, what I'm hearing there is my mother, <laughs> who also always was like, you know, people in instant gratification. So just that desire of, you know, fulfilling my need right here, right now. Um, so I'm hearing that. 
And as that speaks to ministry, then is that I'm inspired to be even more open to hearing what is your desire? What is it that you need? It all speaks to, and we were talking about the Gen Z conversation, and it made me laugh because what what strikes me is that it was such resistance um, to those references. And they're like, so what? We were born in a particular time, um, but we're all sharing this space together. So these are Gen Z students that you're, so you sort of presented (laughs) these interview questions to them and said, what do you guys think about this research? And this is how they were responding. Yes, yes. I had a uh, thank you um, for us being able to go over them together. And they were like, what is that? Like, we we resist huh. that notion. Uh, <laughs> that's very, that's so Gen Z. That's so Gen Z. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we are all one and we're sharing this space uh, together. And we don't have a belief in these particular um, uh, generational specificities on how we behave or how we ought to behave. Yeah. It was, it was a riot. It was, it was great. Yeah. It's so interesting to me, Valerie, that the, one of the things that, that really stood out to you the most when I, when I read those, those findings to you is the, the instant gratification. Maybe we could even call it an addiction to instant gratification, which is not entirely their fault. May we add, um, and then you say, and this reminds me of actually an, a principle of improv acting that a, a lot of our listeners will have heard of, I'm sure, is, is the yes and. So if you're in an improv situation and uh, the other person gives you, gives you a joke or, or makes an entrance and you don't even necessarily, you don't necessarily agree with it, it's not necessarily the best one, it's not the one you would have chosen, but you always yes and. You always say, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I am a polar bear and I live in Miami. So, so, you know, (laughs) you take what they say and then you add something else to it and take it to the next level. So it really surprised me when you said, what I then do is I want to go deeper and inquire into those desires. So a question that I really just, just thought of is you are also wanting them to examine who are you really what are your deeper desires? What are the ones that are really God-given? So how do you disciple them? What are your what are your strategies for helping them to know the difference between this is what I want now, gimme, 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 and the one, the voice that they really should listen to? How do you help them do that? Well, you know what? I, what I've experienced is so much wisdom um, that they already possess. And I, you know, uh, parentage, maybe um, culturally, society, you know, social um, uh, leanings and and givings. Um, And then what they're able to be exposed to um, in the tap of a finger. So I think that once again, it's it's so simple. It's creating the space to still the movement of everything around them um, just for us to be centered. In their hearts, they, 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 I think um, there's an awareness of how problematic some of those um, instant rewards are. I think that it is striking as you know, we're thinking about campus ministry and activities and the ones that popped up 
were fleshing over the word, digging into the Bible to intentionally, um, you know, as, as the terminology goes, chew on the word. Another was to lean in. Um, two of the students want to cook together. We have a whole kitchen in the interface center. So uh, I approve. (laughs) (laughs) So they just want to, they want to cook together. You know, one of them was like, you know what, let's not order pizza. (laughs) Let's, (laughs) let's get the, you know, the pita pizzas and then we could be creative and we can have our own custom pizzas. You know, like this is, this is who they are. And it's just, yeah, yeah. You know, the disciples knew the Lord Jesus, Mm. right? (laughs) In the breaking of the bread. Yes. What is really striking me right now is there may be things that we say, oh, younger people, they have this and that about them. I mean, every generation will say that about every other previous generation. There's always something quote unquote wrong with them or, or, you know, it's, it's, harder for them to grasp reality, or they're not as patient as we used to be, or they're not as literate as we used to be, or they're not whatever. And I'm not saying none of those things are never true or, or that nothing is ever lost or forgotten over time. There are ways humans were hundreds of years ago that we have, we've lost touch with some of those gifts. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that God is never done or is never doing something new. And what I'm hearing from you, what's really striking me is the real wisdom, um, this sort of um, organic wisdom. They may not always know what to call it. They may not be systematizing it or categorizing it, but in their very feeling-oriented, experience-oriented, desire-oriented, image-oriented kind of looser way of being in this atmosphere that they're in, that they're, they have gained a kind of wisdom from it, that they want to be friends with people. They want to cook together. They want to build relationships. They want to be together in the flesh, no matter how, you know how often they're on Instagram or Snapchat. They want to be together in the flesh. Um, and they can speak back to us. We see them and we say, we see this about you, but then they can speak back to us and say, yeah, uh, we, we see that too. You know, These are kids who've, who've probably been to more therapy sessions than I have, honestly. Um, you know, they've probably got the DSM four memorized, like in some ways they're quite savvy. Uh, and so that's just really, that's really striking me. So one of my takeaways from this conversation, Valerie is, is going to be that maybe in doing ministry with younger people, or, you know, if I'm a, a parish priest and cooperating with a campus ministry somehow that bringing uh, having a value on experience, desire, feelings, that those can be a good thing. And we have things in the Christian tradition to, to back those up. Um, we have saints who have emphasized feelings more than others. We have saints uh, and teachers of the church who have emphasized desire and looking at your desires very closely in order to discern where God is leading you, uh, in order to be discipled. Uh, so it just seems like there's there's kind of a, a treasure trove here to be discovered um, in this generation that I am sorry to say has never stricken me before. So thank you so much, Valerie, <laughs> for helping me out. Thank you. 
No, I appreciate it. And I think that's the grace, right? That's the grace, you know, and, and speaking to, you know, the sacramental life and, and you know, the outward signs and inward grace. That's the grace of this moment. And I, I just, I really receive it with joy, with hope, with expectation, um, and with gratitude, um, you know, to, to be able to learn and grow and hear and be present um, with, with these beautiful, blessed, gifted students. Do you see this generation's relationship to local churches changing? And how could churches be available to students? That's been a challenge. Um, and that's, that's where I hope to see growth. You know, in the urban partnership, we have made, uh, you know, these, these wonderful uh, young people would love home-cooked meals. Um, we have some limitations right now because we're still in pandemic times. So institutionally, um, with the campus life, we can't, you know, offer to the students for safety reasons. Um, anything that is not catered, you know, but the invitation is there to definitely join us as much like uh, my Lutheran brother and I took members from our congrega congregations and joined together and did outreach um, with our unhoused members. Um, one of the other things that us uh, campus ministers from all of our faith traditions at the Interfaith Center, um, we've all historically offered an alternative spring break. So pandemic permitting um, you know, in the past, we've joined together with our students and did a Habitat for Humanity project together. Um, the intentionality of inviting our campus students to the Compline service at a local um, parish is another opportunity. But again, you know, it's a it's the reinforcement of what you know our prayer life and getting into uh, these different daily rhythms. Um, and the newness of language, you know, um, these particular students do not, uh, come from our faith tradition. So it's, it's, you know, we know that it's going to, it's going to take some time, but there is definite, um, formation opportunities, Christian formation opportunities. So with that being said, there's, there's more work for us to do, um, in exploring that space and hearing and listening. In this missional place. It just sounds, again, like your priority is showing grace, in a sense, being gentle uh, during this time, giving people a soft landing and giving them just an entry point into the church when and as they approach it. And two very basic ways to do that are service and relationship building. So if anybody out there listening is, is interested in participating in some kind of campus outreach or student ministry, if you're close to a university or a college, good for you. Please, 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 you know, make your support and love available to campus ministers and to these students. Um, but definitely uh, understand the campus minister's role as a missionary and um, consider ways that maybe you could work with them, especially in service, in providing space and building relationships. I have been talking today with the Reverend Valerie Mayo, who has very generously has shared her morning with me. Valerie, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you again for coming on our show. Blessings to you, Amber. Thank you so much um, for this opportunity.
Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back in two weeks with a theological conversation on the doctrine of salvation and whether Eastern and Western perspectives on the atonement can really play nice together. I think they can, but we'll see. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been great to be with you. Peace. Peace.